Welcome to CyberVision and today's episode at War with Cybersecurity. I'm Nigel Schweitzer and joined today by co-host Frankie Lavoie. Hi Frankie, how are you? I'm good. I'm especially excited today because we've got another milestone that we're going to achieve in CyberVision. We've got our first returning guest. The same but different. It used to be Jared Engstrom. Now it's Jared Engstrom from CrowdStrike. How are you, Jared? I'm well. How are you guys? Jared, it's great to have you back on Cypher Vision. It was almost two years ago that you joined us. You've started some new adventures since then. So for our listeners, could you give a bit of a background to your experience to date in IP and your move to CrowdStrike? Yeah, it's been just shy of two years since I joined CrowdStrike, and it's been quite an adventure so far. So just going back a little bit, I started at a law firm. I moved in-house and started at Hewlett-Packard, where Hewlett-Packard's got a great history of patenting and a lot of experience and a very robust patent program. And so I learned a lot about how patent programs work and what goes on, then moved over to Red Hat for about 10 years, where I built up the patent portfolio there. And then this opportunity came along to move to CrowdStrike. And in some ways, similar to Red Hat, where starting with a relatively small portfolio and working on building out the program and building up the portfolio. But in other ways, it's very different just because of the nature of the company and some of the things that we're doing. So that's where I'm at at this point. And so for those listeners who maybe aren't familiar with CrowdStrike, what is your mission? What's CrowdStrike all about? As we say, it's CrowdStrike. We stop breaches. We're a cybersecurity company and we're all about stopping bad actors, malware, ransomware, and protecting you know, our customers. Thinking about cybersecurity, is IP a different game there versus other sectors? Well, it's similar to other modern-day software-based companies where the pace of innovation is just very, very rapid. There's sort of the spectrum that a lot of people who are in the IP world are familiar with, which is lots and lots of expense and R&D going into biopharma and chemical developments, that kind of stuff. And so the value of an individual patent is really tremendous. And then with hardware and developing semiconductors, there's a lot of R&D that goes into that. And that process takes time. In software, the pace of innovation is just so rapid and so quick that it leaves you with kind of a challenge in terms of managing it from an IP perspective, because the way patent laws around the world are structured, I don't think they do a great service to companies that are developing at a really rapid pace. And so it's a trick and a challenge to sort of figure out how to manage IP in a fast paced software environment. Is there another dimension to that as well, Jared? I mean, there you talk about the pace of innovation. I think we recognize that from a number of our guests from a number of sectors. But I've always thought in cybersecurity, there was that extra dimension that when you file a patent and it gets published, you're disclosing the content to the bad actors as well, who can suddenly read about how you're going about stopping them. Is that a real problem or am I imagining it? It's a little hard to know for sure. There are people who spend their careers and their lives trying to get into the mind of these threat actors and understand where they're learning their tips and tricks and secrets. It's hard to know whether ransomware creators are looking at patent filings and trying to sort of reverse engineer some of that. But there is a dimension there of 
really having to think about, okay, we've got this innovation that is valuable to us and we think it is innovative and, and patentable, but is it something that we want to disclose to the public because there may be security concerns there, trade secret issues that we want to protect. So that is definitely a part of the balancing act that we have to think about in this job, which is a little different than my experience being at Red Hat before, because Red Hat's an open source software company. And by definition, everything that Red Hat does is out in the open. And so it has been a fun challenge to think about patents in this new way, having to deal with that issue for sure. So when you're looking at all these different elements, how do you even go about identifying them? How do you go about thinking about whether they're serious or not? Where do you even start? Well, the company, its mission is to mitigate risk for our customers in the sense of we're trying to mitigate the risk of a cyber attack. And so on some level, we have to think about that as a component in terms of what we publish and what we talk about and how we think about protecting the IP assets. But in terms of risk, strictly from an IP perspective, it's pretty similar to what a lot of other software tech companies are experiencing, which is the bigger risk is from NPEs, patent trolls. And to some extent, you have to mitigate against competitive risk as well. And so we have to have patents to make sure that we protect the value of the innovations that we've created and, and make sure that we can defend ourselves should that ever be an issue. So we're back to patents and potentially having patents as a way of mitigating risk. They're an asset that takes a long time to get a hold of. So actually, do they help in the long run in terms of mitigating risks? If I was to get up on my uh, lobbying horse, this is where I think patent laws are currently not equipped to manage the fast pace of innovation because one of the things that you see is old legacy technologies that are really not relevant to today's modern next generation cybersecurity technologies being used and wielded against companies that are really doing very interesting, novel, innovative things. And so how do you manage that? Patent laws give you a limited monopoly for 20 years and is the cycle of value and innovation really 20 years for some of the fast-paced software stuff? That's a tricky question. And I know there's going to be listeners who might disagree with me, but I'm of the opinion that in certain spaces, 20 years is probably just too long to give somebody a monopoly over certain technologies. The trick and the challenge is how do you reconcile that, especially given how complicated and challenging it is to get consensus to pass new laws, especially here in the United States. So are there other things that individual companies can do to manage that risk? Are there ways that like-minded companies can collaborate to come up with market-based solutions to deal with this? There are lots of folks in the industry who are thinking about these issues and, and talking about them and trying to collaborate on some ideas. But again, at the end of the day, the laws are what the laws are. And so everybody else is filing patents and 
to just opt out of the system and say, well, we don't like the way it works and we're developing at such a fast pace that these don't provide a lot of value. So we're not going to file patents doesn't make any sense because it does expose you to additional risk. As a publicly traded company, we need to protect the value of our shareholders and the investment that our company's making and our employees and the great engineering innovations that are going on. And so patents do represent the best form of capturing the value of that innovation. And so filing patents still makes sense because we don't know what the world's going to look like in 10 years or 20 years, and we don't want to be caught with nothing. And so it really comes back to how do you strategically make good use of the dollars that you have to invest in patents and make wise decisions that are going to provide the most value in the long run. It's a conversation you and I have had a number of times in the past, Jared. So we know that you must have the right number of patents for your strategy. So how do you go about working out what is that number? Where is that number? How do you monitor the right size of your portfolio? There's a lot of analogies between right-sizing your portfolio and monitoring and detecting cybersecurity threats in the sense of the more data points you can collect, the more likely you're going to make a good decision about whether a certain action that you detect on somebody's machine is malicious or not. If you only have two data points, you may or may not make a good decision, right? But if you have 50 data points from all sorts of different sources, you can use the power of AI machine learning to sort of come up with, hey, we're pretty confident that even though a human may not be able to put these 50 data points together, we can see that there's something going on here that doesn't look right. And we can flag that as maybe malicious activity. And I think in the same way with patents, the more data points you can collect to sort of paint a picture that says, hey, here's value and here's not value, then you can start funneling more of the limited resources that you have into things that actually provide value and save your money from things that don't actually provide value. We've touched a number of times on organizations that don't have huge patent portfolios. So you're up against potentially some of the more incumbent corporates who do have large patent portfolios. We've also touched on the fact that organizations that don't have huge IP currently don't have massive budgets either. So how can you promote the fact that you do need to spend money? Yes, you need to spend it in the right places and get the value out of it. But how can you get the attention of the senior leaders in those smaller organizations to really try and push forward the need for protection? It's pretty easy to do some early initial analysis when you're a smaller company and say, here's all the competitors in the field. And you can pretty easily figure out how many patents roughly each of these competitors has. And on some level, compare yourself to the competitors and say, well, every one of our competitors has a thousand patents and we have 14 right now. Clearly, there's some imbalance there and there's some risk, right? And whether or not there's revenue discrepancies or disparities, there's just still some flat out risk there. But as you get more sophisticated, you need to be able to tell a story to your executives, one that's convincing and supported by data to show where 
the risk is and why you need to fill it, especially in smaller companies, getting budget, getting resources to do that is difficult. And so if you can really demonstrate and show that you're putting that money in the right place, executives are going to be more confident to give you that money. For example, you could spend, let's say, $20,000 filing a new patent application, which based on my experience in the market is pretty expensive. You could pretty quickly go out and find a firm that will charge you half that. And now you've all of a sudden demonstrated that you can be efficient, save money. But if you're still spending $10,000 on a patent application, but you're filing them all over the world indiscriminately, you're still spending a lot of money that you don't need to spend, right? And so having a full complete picture, again, having the data points, understanding where in the world your competitors are filing, which competitors are filing where, which technology areas are you strong in and weak in, in terms of your market position and in terms of your patent position. And there's sort of all these little dials that you can turn once you have the data to say, hey, I know we're spending $10,000, on a patent application, but we're really pinpointing them to these specific market areas where we see there's real value and real need. And I think it's easier to have a conversation with executives and say, oh yeah, if we got exposed to the risk of a patent attack in this particular area, that would be a serious threat to our business and make sense to take the limited dollars that we have and focus it in those areas. You mentioned telling a story, and that reminds me of the Cypher Vision episode that you were on. We actually named storytelling with data because it was all around how can you inform those who are outside the IP department and tell them the story, but do it using a data-driven approach. Are you still doing that today? How are you finding the tools to do that? Very much so. CrowdStrike is very heavily reliant and, and sort of based on a lot of AI, machine learning based technologies. And so the power of AI is in the DNA of our company. Using tools that use also AI based machine learning techniques to sift through data and come up with insight is a natural fit. Being able to back up your proposals and recommendations with data, it's easy to do in a company like CrowdStrike because it's so woven into the way we do business already. And Nigel, I'm just going to come to you here because it feels like we're pulling on a few themes around potentially smaller IP organizations who need to educate the senior leadership and is, you know, telling that story and using data a way to do that. I think we have lots of conversations on Cypher Vision around how can you break into the boardroom and really get their attention, especially when you're a smaller player? You know, I credit Cypher Vision with taking the pulse of the understanding of the executives about IP. And if you think back over the two or three years of Cypher Vision, we used to speak to leaders inside large organizations about how those organizations would make themselves relevant to IP executives. I'm intrigued by Jared's story. He was hired by the senior leadership team at CrowdStrike as the first IP professional. Go back 10 years, Jared would be 21 years old. He would be a patent attorney or on the road to that. And he would be junior because you have to start somewhere. 
Well, I know this is a podcast, but Jared is not 21 years old. He is one of the leading IP strategists in the world. So I'm intrigued whether I've just found a data point for the evolution of IP, an organization in an interesting area of cybersecurity that goes to the market and doesn't go small, but goes for senior. What does that tell you, Jared, about the understanding of your management about IP? I think that's an interesting question, Nigel. I think there's some truth to it is that companies today are inherently more aware and more sophisticated about IP. Now, that's not to say that folks outside of the IP group or the IP team really know that much about it, but they know enough to know that it's important. And so hiring a junior IP person who knows the basics, but doesn't have a great depth of experience is not something that up and coming tech companies are looking for, even in their first IP hire. Thank you, Jared. It's definitely interesting to think about really investing in IP and getting the right professional expertise. I kind of want to get your view on this point. There's been obviously some high profile job losses within the tech sector with recession How do you think IP departments, especially potentially small IP departments in tech companies, should be responding? I talk to colleagues at other companies, and I know some folks at the bigger companies, just by virtue of how big they are, right? The job cuts on some level are maybe impacting some of those folks a little bit, which is always difficult, right? At a smaller company, I have a very small team. There's three of us on the team, and we're all critical at this point. So not as concerned about job cuts, but in a potential recessionary environment, budgets are always going to become an issue. And so again, as I was alluding to before, you can find ways to manage budget by cutting the cost that you're willing to pay a law firm for drafting a patent application or prosecuting a patent application. And I think that that's something you can do. Although as a side note, I've noticed in my nearly 20 years now, that the cost of getting an application drafted by outside counsel has not really changed in 20 years, which I find a little bit odd because inflation has increased the cost of everything. And yet the $10,000 we might spend on a patent application today is how much we were spending 20 years ago. So I think the idea of looking to cutting the cost of patent applications and prosecutions is probably not the most effective way because I just have to think that quality is going to suffer if you just cut how much you're willing to spend on outside counsel. So then if you do have budget pressure, where are you going to be more efficient about it? And I think that's where a more sophisticated approach at looking at the data, figuring out where do you really have needs and how are you going to fill those needs most efficiently and effectively is where you're going to be able to demonstrate value in a recessionary environment. I should add to that, that it's not only about spending your money wisely, of course, it's always going to include that, but also having the data and the evidence to push back. A lot of the work we've been doing with Cypher customers is providing the data to say, there's lots of places to save money, but IP isn't always a great place to go. It might look easy because you've got a large maintenance bill on a large portfolio, But slashing that just leads to a lot of cultivated assets over a decade 
dying never to be recovered. I think when you talk about risks, bearing in mind the C-suites, one of their primary obligations is to manage the risks to their business. As CrowdStrike well knows, the idea of cutting a budget to save in a year to increase risk five years, 10 years down the line, there is that kind of resistance to the obvious. It might be obvious to cut budgets, but maybe not around the protection of IP. Your analogy there is apt because that's very much what I think we see is that IT departments, our enterprises are having to cut budgets on some level. But one of the areas where they're not cutting budget is on security because security is just too important. You can't just not have security. In the same way, IP is risk mitigation insurance for the value of the intellectual assets that the company creates. And it's unwise to just cut that. Now, every company gets to make their decisions, but I think there's a lot of justification for at least maintaining the status quo when it comes to IP budgets. Thanks, Jared. I'm now hoping that we can look a little bit more towards the future. So we've named this third series of the Cypher Vision, Leading the Change. So when you look towards the future, what do you think needs to change to improve things? So lately in the news, all the rage is talking about chat GPT, right? And how it's about to change the world. I think folks like you guys and some of us in the IP world have seen the value of AI and what it does for many years now. But I think it's just sort of coming into the consciousness of the public. And one of the things that gets talked about now is how it's going to change work for employees and what that means. And I think ChatGPT is an example of how clear it is that you can either let this thing happen and risk getting lost in the wave of technology and sort of like the manufacturing jobs that got lost 40, 50 years ago, or you can look at this as a new tool that can enhance your productivity, your career, the things that you're doing, and really latch onto it and make the most of it. And I think to the extent that IP professionals can really embrace AI and all the different forms that it could impact IP staff, attorneys, technologists, those sorts of people, we should embrace it and run with it and get creative about how can we leverage this stuff to create more value, both for our companies and for our own careers and our own personal lives, because I think there's a lot of opportunity. So Jared, that last answer may well be very similar to what I normally ask all our guests at the end of an episode. What's your cipher vision? What's your key takeaway for listeners? Would you have anything to add? Well, I think my key takeaway is that the future is coming. It is here. AI, machine learning tools are going to be more prevalent over time. And I think there's a real opportunity to take advantage of those and be creative about how those can benefit you in your own career, but also your organization to make better decisions, more efficient decisions. But then the related point to that is the more data you have to train your models, the more effective the AI can be at giving you interesting information. And so data, again, becomes really valuable. And as an IP professional, I think it's really important to think about the different types of data that may not inherently be tracked by your IP team, 
but figure out what kinds of data would be interesting to analyze over time and figure out ways to start tracking that data, whether it's manually entering some of it or capturing it from other systems that you have and really sort of build your data lake of really interesting data points related to your IP portfolio. And then you can use the future AI, other tools like that to turn that data into really interesting analysis and information. When you think of cybersecurity, your mind takes you to dark corners and the dark web. But for the intellectual property strategists, the challenges are all too familiar. A company which depends on technology and innovation to defeat bad actors, fighting with the familiar commercial pressures of attracting investment and of staying ahead of the competition. Seen through that lens, it's easy to see why CrowdStrike, despite having a relatively small patent portfolio, requires such an experienced IP professional. Intellectual property is a multi-dimensional mesh of issues that go to the heart of the value of an organization and the risks it faces. Balancing all of this in a world of constrained budget is a core capability for all businesses. While Cypher focuses on using ML to automate those tasks better performed by machines, Jared is a useful reminder that computers can't juggle. Thanks, Jared, for sharing your approach and for the conversation. Thank you, Nigel and Frankie. This was uh, really fun and enjoyed being with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episode at war with cybersecurity.